Listen to the word of the Lord from Genesis 46, 1 through 7, and 26 through 27. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. This is the word of the Lord. So I was able to uh, tease our announcement last week, and now I can happily report that uh, we were approved this past week to begin meeting at Socrates Academy uh, on Sunday mornings. So, very excited about that. We still have details to work out. Um, there's, we, we're working on uh, final stuff on a contract, and, but we're all systems go. So you'll begin to see the gears turn a little bit uh, if you get requests to join. And we're going to kind of be reformatting some of our hospitality things. And obviously, as we move, there'll be new signage and new. So just be prepared for trans. This is a season of change. And this is like the calm before the storm, the 97 and a half degrees calm before the, these thunderstorms. It's probably not a good metaphor. Um, it's a good storm that's coming. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we're excited about that. Um, and uh, yeah, you can pray, pray and uh, ask how you can join and be a part of the transition. Um, let's pray and then we'll look at this text. Lord Jesus, we come to your word each week. We gather around it, word and table to uh, remember what you've done for us. We pray now that as we, um, as we listen, as we hear, as we come to you, that you would impress upon our hearts your, um, your concern and your care for us and the way that you provide. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as I don't know, eight or nine years ago, I decided to get into backpacking. And so I had, I think I had an REI gift card, so I went out and bought my handy-dandy backpack, and I thought to myself, it would be great to go backpacking by myself. <laughs> Bad idea. I loaded up. I'd never been backpacking before, so I lo started loading up my bags. So I'm just throwing in like jugs of water, and I'm a pastor, so I threw in my Bible 
and all of my gear. And so my, my pack was just like 1,000 pounds. And I drive up to South Mountain State Park, and there's a campsite like three and a half miles in that I was going to camp at. So I strap on my backpack like this, you know. And it's 103 degrees. It was in July. And on the map at South Mountain, that campsite has a water source next to it. So I have my little water filter, and I was going to go up there and have plenty of water to drink. And so I hike uphill three and a half miles, and I get to the site, and my water that I had in my pack is gone. I said, first things I should do is go and find some more water, because it is 105 degrees, and I get over there, and the water source is dry. And so I turned around, and I came back, and my first backpacking experience was a failure for lack of provision. Okay, backpacking without proper provisions, I have learned now, is dangerous. Very dangerous, right? And wise people, I am not among them, do not journey without proper provisions. All right? Provisions are a basic human need. We're not self-sustaining, self-generating, self-refueling. We require provisions from outside in order to survive and sustain ourselves. And we need the proper provisions in order to go forward. There's a place in Genesis 22 where the God of the Bible is called the God who provides, the God who makes provision. You probably know it as Jehovah Jireh. It's a terrible Hebrew pronunciation, but that's how we say it. The Lord will provide. Abraham meets God, and then Abraham says in Genesis 22:14, the Lord will provide is the name of this place. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And I wonder what that means to you. When you hear this phrase that God will provide, what do you think that means? What do you expect from God to provide? When you read Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount, look at the birds, right? God feeds, it's the word for provides. God provides for the birds. How much more will he provide for you? What, what do you think that means? What is God gonna provide? I know for, for many of us, we maybe looking back at our lives, wouldn't necessarily rate God's provision as five stars, Right? Look, we survived. It was two stars, the threadbare carpet. There was a bed, but like the mini fridge was not well stocked. We lack physical, we seem to lack physical or spiritual or relational or emotional or comforts and ease and joy. We lack what we might call provisions for the journey. In these next three weeks in the story of Joseph, I want to ask this question. What does it mean that God is the God of who provides? What exactly can we expect him to provide? Right, we've said that the story of Joseph is this story of God working in broken places to fulfill his promises in surprising ways. And this part of the Joseph story is specifically about God's provision. And in the story that Wendy read, <clears throat> these first four verses is what we're going to focus on. Or you can put it up there. The first four verses. This is a hidden gem of a story in Genesis. Um, it's like, I had this experience this week, you know, when you're like listening through your, I don't know, you're listening through a playlist and all of a sudden you find a song that you used to know and forgot, had forgotten about and you're like, oh, there it is again. It's so good. That's the experience I had with this text because I've never heard a seminary professor talk about this text. I've never heard this text in a sermon. 
I've never read this text about this text in or this part of the story in, in the Joseph kids books or on Veggie Tales. When we tell the Joseph story, the hero is Joseph. And this maybe feels like some kind of a sideshow, a subplot, like a blip on the radar in, in a bigger story. Get back to the Joseph stuff. But these four verses are the bigger story. <laughs> this, these four verses are the bigger story. The entire story of Joseph, the point of the entire story of Joseph is contained in these four verses right here in Genesis 46. And so I want to make a few observations, just a foundation for these next couple weeks about what it means that God makes provision for us. To do that, I want to just back up a bit. Okay, we finished last week in this story, and this is what happened. Remember, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and he sends them back to Jacob, who's living in the land of Canaan, where God had told him to live. He sends him with all this stuff, and they go back, and they say, hey, go get Jacob and bring him down to Egypt. And he gets there, and he says, hey, Joseph is alive. And Jacob's like, nah, that ain't true. And then they're like, hey, where do you think this caravan of stuff came from? And eventually Jacob relents, and verse 27 of chapter 45, this is where we ended last week, says, and when they, the brothers, had told Jacob all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, and Jacob said, it is enough, my son is still alive. I will go and see him before he dies. Jacob's ready to take his family and go to Egypt. At the end of last week, I told, told you about a positive view of verse 28. Jacob says, it is enough. And so there's a way to read that verse where Jacob is saying, this is it, this is enough, this is all I need to know that God cares for me. But there's a, there's a negative way to read this verse as well, and I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Because several chapters ago, you remember Jacob, he's this guy that he's laying on the ground, he has this dream where he sees angels coming up and down, and he hears this promise from God that God's going to give him all this land, and God's going to give him blessing, and God's going to give him family, and through him, the entire world is going to be blessed. And now where does Jacob find himself on his deathbed, 25 years removed from his favorite son, Jacob saying, it is enough to me, feels like Jacob saying, well, okay, this is like a consolation prize. If I can't have all the things you promised, I guess this is enough. This will have to do. I gotta just, before I die, I'm just going to get to see my son once. This, Jacob is in a bad way. And I wonder, I expect, and I think there's enough clues through the story to suggest that Jacob has this nagging thought in the back of his head. Has God failed to provide what he said he was going to provide. Has God failed? He has this expectation, right? You hear this promise, God speaks to you. What do you expect in your mind? If God came to you and said, I'm gonna give you all this land, I'm gonna give you all this family, I'm gonna give you all this blessing, and 40 years later, you find yourself as a destitute old man with your sons in Egypt. You're like, has God failed to provide? And Jacob is, he's wrestling with this. He's not going out in glory like he expected. He's sort of fading away into oblivion. And that is the context for Jacob's journey down to Egypt. And so first one in our text today says, And so Jacob took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. I've mentioned this before, but places are very important in the Old Testament. You see, Beersheba is the southernmost point in the land of Canaan before the desert. 
South of Beersheba, you can't grow anything. People can't live there. It's desolate. Nine times in the, Old, in the Old Testament, Israel is described as existing from Dan on the north to Beersheba in the south. It's like we say from sea to shining sea, from Canada to Mexico. This is from Dan to Beersheba. Beersheba is the southernmost point of the promised land. It's the end. It's the bottom and so you read this text, you're like, he took his journey and he came to Beersheba and he stopped off. And like, he went to the pilot gas station and he's like, hey, we need Chick-fil-A biscuits for all these folks. We're going to refuel and we're going we're gonna to go into the little, you know, the little, I don't know, temple and play for, pray for traveling mercies as we go across the de- desert to Egypt. And like, you could read the verse and think that he's just having a stop off. But this is not just an incidental stop. Okay, this, is, this is not just like the last stop on the promised land turnpike before you know, Egypt. You see, Beersheba is central to Jacob's family history with God. It's at the epicenter of it. Just a few examples. In Genesis 21, Abraham is said to have planted a terebinth tree for God and built an altar and lived there a long time. This is Jacob's grandfather. Then in Genesis 22, the next chapter... God appears to Abraham after the episode where he goes up on the mountain to sacrifice Isaac and God speaks to Abraham. He says, Abraham, Abraham. And then Abraham comes down off the mountain and he goes and he lives in Beersheba again for a long time, according to Genesis 22. But more than that, that's Jacob's grandfather. Jacob's father is Isaac. In Genesis 26, Isaac is in Beersheba. And this is what it says. God appeared to him and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. Jacob's grandfather lived there a long time, met God there. Isaac lived there a long time, pitched his tent there, met God there. It's, it's entirely possible that when Jacob rolls up into Beersheba, he's He's sacrificing to God on the same altar that Abraham did, had built. This is, there's altars scattered all over Israel at this point. And in this moment where Jacob pulls off at this center of his family's faith, he is in full faith crisis mode. He's in full faith crisis. And I can see this as this is an opportunity for Jacob to give God one last chance to explain himself before he goes off to Egypt. Right, listen to this. This is Genesis 26. This is about Isaac. Now there was a famine in the land. Sound familiar? And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. And here's Jacob, his son, in a famine, about to do what? The one thing God said not to do. Jacob's about to say, I'm done with this promise thing. This promised land, it's over. I'm going to get down to Egypt and get my one consolation prize to see my son before he dies. Jacob's like, he has come to the edge of the cliff and he's like, he's ready to jump out of the promised land. A few verses earlier, a few chapters earlier, we see Jacob sort of given up on the family part of the promise, right? He says this thing in chapter 43 where he goes, as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He's already given up on God to provide him the family that he dreams. Now he's like given up on the land. He's ready to just give up on God and move on. Jacob's having a faith crisis. And on the way out, he stops at this site where he, his, his dad and his grandfather have met with God for one last chance. And I think there's a metaphor here 
This isn't just like a pit stop to fuel up for going across the desert. Jacob's journey is a much deeper journey. It's a journey of faith. It's Jacob's journey of faith. Because Jacob has been at the epicenter of all of God's promises, and now he's struggling to believe them. This journey to Egypt across the desert, it's a metaphor. It's symbolic of Jacob's own journey of faith. One book puts it like this. Faith, in context of a journey, is simply the process by which we let God direct our lives. Faith is the process by which we let God direct our lives. And Jacob is wrestling with that. He's like, I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure I'm, I've trusted God. I've been there. I've listened to the promises, and they're simply not coming true. God has not provided. I'm, I'm headed to Egypt. See, the journey of faith for Jacob is this long and winding road to accept God as God and allow him to direct his life. And it's a difficult journey, and it requires provisions. And here's the big truth for us in this is that when God is said to be a God who provides, the kind of provision that he makes is for the journey of faith. It's that journey, your journey of faith, your journey of moving towards God to allow him to direct you, that's the journey that he's interested in providing provisions for. In other words, what God wants to provide for you is the resources to know and trust him. That's the journey, your journey, that God is providing for. This is the journey that God is most invested in. Or you have lots of other journeys. You have your life journey, where you're headed. You have your retirement journey. You have your work journey. You have your goals. You have your hopes. You have, you have all these places and things that you want to see and you want to do and you hope to have. You want to have good health. You want to have this. We have all these things. These are essential and they're important, but they're not the journey that God is primarily concerned to provide for. God's provisions are intended to make the journey into faith sustainable and possible. That's the kind of provisions that God wants to give to you and to me. And so you say, well, what are those provisions? Well, thankfully, we have a good example here in the text. Israel took his journey and all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to God. Last chance, God. I'm headed to Egypt. I'm out of here. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he mirrors the same way he talked to Abraham and Isaac. Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob says, here I am. Then God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. This is basically the same thing that God's been saying to the family all along with the brief clarification that it's okay to go to Egypt this time. And I see two things that God's providing for Jacob's journey of faith. The first one is that God provides Jacob with promises. Promises. He looks him in the eyes, or metaphorically looks him in the eyes, and he makes promises. I will make you into a great nation. I will bring you up. Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. He makes Jacob promises. Throughout the story of the Old Testament, God's promises are the provision. The promises themselves are the provision. God speaking to his people saying, I will do what I will do. That is the provision that God is offering. And here's the thing. What we need, what Jacob needed, what we need for the journey of faith, we need to know God's promises. We need to hear them. 
It is the promises of God that make faith possible and sustainable, the promises of God. Right? You say, like, the, this promise of, like, a dusty little patch of land in the Middle East, that doesn't sound too great, right? But there's a lot of promises that we have and can claim as New Testament Christians. We could spend all day on this, but here's a few, right? Jesus says, I will give you rest. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. There is therefore now no condemnation. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not graciously give us all things. Maybe the best one. Second Peter chapter one. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you can become partakers of the divine nature. That is a promise. The promises of God are provisions for the journey of faith. You need to cling to them. They're food for the soul. It's not the things that are promised that are the provisions. It's the, it's the promises themselves that act as provisions for us. Do you know the promises of God? Do you let them into your soul every day? Do you speak them out loud? Oftentimes our disappointment in God is because we are expecting him to give things that he has not promised to give. We want him to make our other journey successful. And he says, no, no. <laughs> I'm here to provide for the journey of faith. The journey for you to know me and be known by me. But God doesn't leave it just at that provision. He says to Jacob, I myself, I myself will go down to Egypt God also provides Jacob with his presence. I will be with you. This is the repeated mantra of the Old Testament. God says it to Abraham. He says it to Isaac. He says it here to Jacob for like the fourth time. <laughs> he says it to Joshua. He says it to David. He says it to Samuel. You get to the New Testament and Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. He says, Jesus says to his disciples, I will be with you wherever you go. John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Whatever your situation, I will go with you there. My presence is the provision. My grandfather used to say, there's no gift like my presence. That's God can say that for real. My grandfather's great. He's still kicking. 
Together, the promises and the presence of God, that's God's provision for the journey of faith that he's calling us. This is what Paul knew, right? Philippians chapter four. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You're like, what? No way. Do you know this guy? I preached on this verse last year and the word content there is, is not even like resigned contentedness. It's like embracing. I've learned to embrace whatever situation I find myself in. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be content in being brought low. I know how to abound and be content. In, every, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I know the secret of facing a journey to Egypt. What is it, Paul? What's the secret? It's the promises and the presence of God. More than anything else, these are the needed provisions for the journey. I want to finish just with this striking end to the passage. This last verse, verse four. God says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. This is a really fascinating line. There's a lot of tension in here. He says, I will bring you up. Jacob never gets brought back alive to Egypt, or sorry, to Israel. Jacob, is he's, he's in Beersheba. He's seeking assurance from God, comfort, provision. Like, hey, am I gonna still be doing this God of Israel thing, God of Abraham thing, or am I just gonna move on? And God's like, it's okay, you're gonna die. That's what he says. Like, you're gonna go down there and it's, you're gonna die. Jacob's, Joseph's gonna close your eyes. For most of us, death is like the ultimate failure of God to provide. Like the, the death, our own death, our death in our family, death of a friend, untimely death, death of unborn children. These are bad things, but we see them as the end of the road. And God looks at Jacob and he says, your death is not the end of my provision. You need to hear Jesus say this to you. Some of you really need to hear this today. Some of you for your journey of faith is at a really, really hard, difficult, terrible moment. Oftentimes that coincides with really hard, difficult, terrible moments in your other journeys as well. But for some of you, your life journeys may be great, but your journey of faith is, is rough. It's terrible, it's hard. You're like, I don't know if I'm gonna be in this with God anymore. You're at the truck stop. You're in Beersheba, you're like, I'm out of here. And you need to hear Jesus say to you what God said to Jacob, I will go with you and I will bring you up. dead or alive. Right? Even death is not a failure of God to care for you. There's no way to live without believing that. God's provision is not bound by time or space. It's not if you die, when you die, it's not a failure of God to provide for you. 
See, for Jacob, the destination, which was Egypt, was not, it wasn't the end of God's provision. I know a lot of you have very difficult destinations. God's care continues for you. Sorry. And right now, He wants to invite you into the journey of faith to know and be known by Him. That's the God of the Bible. Let me try and pray. Father, we thank you for this illustration, this example of the way that you deal with your people. That just at the moment when we want to get off the train, that you want us to hear your voice speak to us that we can know and be known by you, that your promises are sure. Let us, let every person in this room hear and believe. And we pray it in the name of Christ, amen. Our invitation to the table today comes from 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the greatest promise of God, right? That death will be, death itself will be destroyed. And when we come to the table, right, it's, it's great. This, this is the most basic symbol of provisions that is in the world, bread and wine. And we come to the table, and what do we find here? We find two things. The promise that God is defeating death and the epicenter symbolically of his presence right here at the table. This is why we need to come to the table every week. You need provisions for your journey right here. Promise, (laughs) presence. Every week we come to the table to, to receive those two provisions for the journey of faith that God's called us to be on. So that's our invitation today. If you believe with us in Christ, we invite you to come to his table and be refreshed, provided for by his body and blood.